They've met with the pastor week after week. He's taught them our precepts and Christ Jesus to seek. He shared the law of our God, which we strive to keep, the prayers, the creeds, and the sacraments deep. Now these young saints are right to partake in Christ's body and blood, all for his sake. A gift you are seeking to commemorate this? Ad Crucem has just what you won't want to miss. We've got icons, art, ornaments, jewellery and more, greeting cards, crucifixes, posters, gifts galore. Your catechized friend will love what you give and treasure the gift all the days that they live. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today we have another wild. We're throwing out a lot of wild card episodes lately, but we're covering some really card pickup. <laughs> <laughs> Round them up. <laughs> a year of wild cards. We <laughs> we we could totally do that, but we aren't yet. Today we have a wild card. For a topic that mm, you may have some strong feelings about, you may have zero feelings about, we're going to find out in just a second. We're talking about head coverings today, and I'm myself, I'm pretty excited about talking about this. So, Rachel, this is your episode. <laughs> I am glad you're excited about this because <laughs> I have come into this uh, studio in fear and trembling. Um, I was going to say, are you sure you want to claim this? <laughs> But this is this is a topic that is kind of contentious, if people even know about it at all, which a lot of people may not have thought about it. It has come up in our lounge Facebook group a couple of times over the years. The most recently, I believe, 154 very thoughtful and sometimes vehement comments later, we got to some sort of, I don't know, Hopefully. it petered That's out. That's about right. Um, yep. Yeah, so discussion ranges anywhere from, huh, what's that, to, hmm, sounds legit, to over my dead body. Mm -hmm. um, yep, sounds legit. And, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been, I've been thinking about this since I was probably, uh, I, I would have had to have been just not too long after confirmation when I was a teenager. And it, it always happens whenever you're reading, whenever I'm reading First Corinthians. Because there's a significant passage in First Corinthians chapter 11. And I came around to it in my daily devotions again this year and was sort of freshly hit by waves of curiosity and what might pass for conviction on the subject. So I thought, what to do? Let's do some digging. Let's research it. And let's talk about it. So, yes, this episode, we are talking about head covering and if you are scared, I can guarantee that you're not as scared as I am right now. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. Oh, <laughs> um, I should preface this entire episode by say, saying two things. One, this is a very personal story mm -hmm. about a personal quest for greater understanding and clarity on an issue that, that comes up in the Bible. And two, I am absolutely not trying to tell anyone else how to think or act. This is not meant to be prescriptive. That's just not what, what we're about. Uh -huh. Certainly not what I'm about. So 
with that disclaimer out of the way, I think we need to start where every good Lutheran discussion should start, and that is with scripture. Yes. So the passage that starts this whole adventure going isn't that long, but if you'll, so if you'll bear with me, I think I'll read the entire section from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of the chapter. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Thanks, Paul, for <laughs> that perfectly clear and <laughs> absolutely not difficult passage. Not ambiguous at all. Mm -hmm. Super clear. So we don't usually tackle scripture on this show. We tend to leave the theologizing to, well, the professionals. Yep. And I don't think we're going to start now. But just for the sake of conversation, if you were to take this passage at face value, what would the takeaway be for you? So, okay, I want to talk about everything that is not face value because that's where the real meat of this is. <laughs> but <laughs> for the, the sake of answering your question, if you read this at face value with zero context of culture or what Paul's talking about or the order of creation or our theology of marriage... <laughs> It's going to sound very strict, maybe offensive, maybe as far too prescriptive in our modern culture, but it is none of those things if you have that right understanding of what Paul is actually talking about in his cultural context. There's there's so much here. So yeah, for me at face value, I would say it sounds like women are supposed to have their heads covered at all times. That's what I would take away at face value. And dudes are not. Uh, and dudes are not. Well, and it specifically Indeed. says wife, not necessarily woman, which I just picked up on when you were reading. He is in most of this talking specifically about wives and husbands and their relationship and their relationship to the church, too. Well, and it also says when praying and prophesying. Right. <laughs> now, that, of course, is that you could write a commentary just on those that that phrase right there, too. <laughs> those activities, those right. specific activities. Yes. Anything to add? I don't think so. I mean, no, no, I don't think so. I'm just, just let's keep it rolling. <laughs> I mean, we've we've picked the low hanging. Yeah, here. yeah, mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Face value, face value only. So, yeah. At face value, reading it with modern eyes, it sounds very hard on women, 
and very prescriptive that they should cover their heads as a sign of their, let's say, lower place in the hierarchy, at very least while praying and prophesying, whatever that means, you could say, also certainly in church. So the, that, is, that is the face value takeaway of this passage. And it, it was written to the church in the time after the, you know, after Christ. So it's hard to say that this was like with the Old Testament law. Obviously, a lot of that law has been fulfilled. This is not law. This is practical instruction for churches, which is law. But I don't know. It's just it's weird. It's a weird thing. Face value takeaways. This is confusing. But of course, when we look around in American churches today, Lutheran or otherwise, what do you notice about, well, let's say about women's heads? They are not covered, generally speaking, uncovered. Yeah. Except yeah. if you're in certain traditions. Unless you're in certain traditions. Or in certain Lutheran churches. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> yeah, you'll notice that just about absolutely nobody follows this teaching today. I say just about because I used to hang out with some Mennonite friends in my younger days, and a lot of them, the Anabaptists, Mennonites, yeah. Amish, do cover their heads, and they cover them not only at church, but just about all the time because they put this passage together with Paul's passage to instruction to pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. And if you're to cover your head when you pray and you're to pray without ceasing, that A you equals know, B, B together, equals B. You, yeah. You've got a bonnet on your head pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. I do have a quick question. So yeah. talking about when, when you talk about the different traditions that practice this, are we talking about like veils? Are we talking about like the Easter bonnets or the big fancy Sunday hats? Like what are, are we mm. talking about anything in specific? Like are we just talking about you have a hat on your head? We I think what we're talking and there was some there was some confusion on the Facebook group because some some women refer to this practice as veiling, which mm. doesn't necessarily mean putting a veil over your face. It might mean just wearing a you know piece of fabric on your head that could okay. be a hat. Okay. So wearing a hat could count. I think for this, to define our terms for this conversation, what we're referring to is women wearing some sort of item on their heads, over their hair, or, or even over their faces that is intended to, that has a spiritual significance mm -hmm. tied to this passage. So yeah, it could encompass a whole lot of different styles and kinds of, of coverings, anything from like a pillbox hat mm -hmm. to a baseball cap to scarf to, I don't know, full beach towel. Every bridal veil would actually fall into this category too. Yeah. Well, and all uh, of those traditions do it for different reasons. And probably they all probably point back to this passage among mm -hmm. others, maybe, but probably uh, have a different understanding of what this passage actually means in connection with why they're doing what they're doing now. So that would be my guess. Yeah. So next question for you. I talked about Mennonites, but what have you guys observed or even practiced with regard to Christian women's head coverings, either within or beyond the Lutheran church? So I actually have experience with this growing up. My my home church when I was a kid did not practice head coverings. My secondary home church where I spent a whole lot of my time as a child, they did practice head coverings. So I actually spent my summers when I was doing their Bible camp or when I was just over at my friend's house when I was there, I would actually practice failing because that was failing. Head coverings? I don't even know what they called it. Head coverings. I would do that when I was at their church because that was their practice. That was their tradition. I didn't see any problem with it. 
the understanding of it wasn't necessarily that like you're the lowest on the lowest on the totem pole and therefore you have to wear a head covering. Like it was I think it it was more of the understanding of what what you're going to get to in the rest of this. It's like you know you're covering your hair out of reverence uh, to Christ. And this is my own now that I've thought about it more my own personal thing. Covering your hair because you're in the the house of God, you're in the presence of Christ and therefore gives you this sense of reverence because the the space that you're in is set apart kind of reminds you of what you're doing and why you're there. I don't read any of the like very controversial like subordination to everybody kind of things into it at all. I don't I don't personally see that anywhere and I don't think that is in the cultural context of of where this comes from either. I actually wanted to uh, to do head coverings and scarves when I was growing up because I was doing it in one church. I wanted to do it in in my my home congregation as well. But I grew up in a place that had a lot of Middle Eastern culture and a lot mm-hmm. of uh, Arab women who did who do wear their head coverings all the time. And I didn't want to I didn't want to create confusion with people or cause them to be like, oh, are you converting? Like I didn't want to I didn't want to freak people out by coming to church in a scarf because in in Dearborn, wearing a scarf over your head means a very specific a thing. thing yeah. And mm-hmm. I didn't want that to be a, a point of confusion. And so I never really did it. But I, for one, would love to bring back hats, like those super awesome hats for women. I would totally, I would go for that. I mean, <laughs> I love hats. I, love I think it's hat. fun. I feel like, <laughs> sure, I I don't necessarily see wearing a hat. I feel like that starts veering into I'm having more fun with fashion yeah. as opposed to I'm covering my hair <laughs> to Remember show my fashion yeah. work because we're going to come back to yeah. that later. So yeah. my personal experience with head covering, honestly, the only the only time I've done that, aside from just me choosing to wear a hat because I like wearing hats sometimes, is it has nothing to do with the, the Christian church at all. I visited Turkey and oh, yeah. I visited a mosque there and women were required to cover their hair yeah. while they were in the mosque. And so I so I did. And that that's my that's my only experience with head covering in the context of doing it for something other than fashion, I will say. Yeah, I think I have zero percent experience <laughs> with <laughs> Head coverings, I was never really exposed to it. If I ever encountered head covering in a Christian church, I don't know, I kind of associate it as sort of being like interesting or exotic or like, I don't know, like, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I don't really see where the ire all comes from. But like, I don't know, just not a whole, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just open and curious and a little bit confused, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, there you go. I'm curious and a little bit confused. I think that is that definitely fits the topic. For my part, it seems like every time I, as I mentioned, every time I reread the passage, I'm pulled into this tension between what Paul says, what I think Paul says, at least, and what I see around me in the church today. So I was like, all right, I need to try and and learn more about this. So early this year, so this has been a several month journey at this point, <laughs> I asked my pastor chaplain husband, uh, dear pastor chaplain husband, please help me dig into this. <laughs> and he dug through his commentaries and pulled out a bunch of resources, some of which were very helpful, some of which were absolutely not helpful at all. But we have been doing the digging and the talking to try and see if we can 
sort of puzzle out what's going on here and whether the current status of things is good, bad, or neutral, I guess. I don't know. So I won't go into everything that our search turned up or we'll be here all day. <laughs> we might actually be here all day anyway. I hope you guys brought tea. But <laughs> I will okay. touch on a few <laughs> highlights. First, a big part, Sarah, as you mentioned, a big part of this passage is hard to understand if you do not understand the cultural context that Paul was writing to. And this comes up in commentaries all the time of like, oh, well, to understand this, you have to know the context. Yep. So here's a little crash course historical background. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day and also in the Jewish world of Paul's day, it was considered proper for married women to cover their heads whenever they left the house. Some have compared going around with your hair loose and uncovered to being akin to going around without a wedding ring today as if to signal, okay, I'm available. I don't know. I feel like wedding wedding ring or not is not as obvious. Might say going without a wedding ring and also wearing an extremely low cut blouse and booty shorts, Mm -hmm. like a very obvious cue to people. So it was not only improper, but also had these promiscuous overtones. And this practice was not new in Paul's day. We see it going way back to, you know, ancient Greece and Rome in the early Roman Republic, which is when this really started taking off. So we're talking a couple hundred years before Paul. Well-to-do women wore a mantle called a stola under a sort of veil or shawl called a pala that was a sign of both modesty and status or respectability to show that they weren't slaves, that they weren't prostitutes, they were matrons. They were married women with a certain amount of dignity in society. Mm-hmm. By 200 BC, this practice was basically extended to all free married women. You didn't have to be a patrician, the upper crust, that this was something that anyone who wasn't, wasn't a slave, pretty much, <laughs> if you were a married woman, you covered up when you left the house yeah. as, a, as a way of being respectable. Mm-hmm. Women who had been convicted of adultery in this culture were actually forbidden from wearing these garments. Mm, yeah. They had had their dignity, their respectability stripped away by their behavior, and they could not pretend to put it back on. So that was it was it was a pretty serious matter. We also see, you know, on the Jewish side, glimpses of this practice going back uh, even as far as Genesis. Mm-hmm. Some people will cite Genesis 24, where Rebecca, when she's seeing Isaac for the first time, she's like, who's that off there? And they say, oh, that's that's Isaac. That's your future husband. And she immediately covers herself mm-hmm. over you know, before she gets any closer. Of course, Rebecca also was wearing a nose ring at this point. So I don't know. We can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> it starts again. Fashion. Yeah. <laughs> but this practice continued long past Rebecca. And even after it stopped being generally fashionable in the world around them, this is from Wikipedia, actually, that Israelite women used to wear veils in public, which distinguished them from women in pagan ancient societies. Mm-hmm. Even as the custom of veiling dwindled among other ancient societies, Israelite females retained it for religious identification. Shawls dictated by Jewish piety and other forms of head coverings were also worn by ancient Israelite women in towns such as Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Now we see this, you know, if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, 
you'll see that this still continues to be a, a practice in, in, in traditional Jewish societies today. I want to jump in right here because I was watching Instagram Reels, which is one of my favorite pastimes for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> but I, I ran across a really interesting one that a guy was at a Jewish wedding and he was asking the women there if they let if he was asking them wig or no wig, because the women who were wearing wigs that you wouldn't you couldn't tell. But the women who were wearing wigs were the women who were married and the women who were not wearing wigs were the women who were unmarried. Oh. So they were continuing. I don't know. And I have zero context of of what that actually means across general Jewish society. But I found that really interesting that in this one tiny little case study on with Instagram reel, <laughs> um, they were still continuing that practice of married women covering their heads, even though they were covering it with other hair. So you couldn't actually tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it's interesting that, that that practice still lives on in, in, in interesting ways, even in our modern culture and society. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. That's one way to do it. So... Paul's words in 1 Corinthians to women would not have actually sounded all that weird or countercultural to them. It would have just sounded like a reinforcement of the norms that they would have all been very used to seeing. Ironically, it was his words to men about not wearing head coverings in worship that would have sounded a little bit stranger in that mm -hmm. context because, you know, as we see today with Jewish men, it's still very common to cover heads. And According to the Torah, the high priest was always to serve in the temple with his head covered under a special turban. If you look at Exodus 28, the prescription prescribed outfit for the high priest includes headwear. Pagan priests, likewise, would have also worn special headdresses or coverings when performing religious rituals. So this teaching that Christian men should worship the Lord Almighty with their heads uncovered because of their relation to Christ actually strikes me as a little bit more radical than the other side that the women mm. should continue to have their heads covered. I thought that was just fascinating. Mm. Let's move on to the early church, where the early church fathers pretty much unanimously supported and continued the teaching about female head covering. A couple of quick quotes. Here's one from Tertullian, cited in the Ancient Christian Commentary series. What is the meaning of the expression, every woman, except women of every age, every rank, and every circumstance? No one is accepted. Chrysostom, so that he who transgresses disturbs all things and betrays the gifts of God and casts to the ground the honor bestowed on him from above, not however the man only, but also the woman. For to her also it is the greatest of honors to preserve her own rank, as indeed of disgraces the behavior of a rebel. For this cause he left it to nature to provide her with a covering, that even of it she might learn this lesson and veil herself. Augustine, it is not becoming even in married women to uncover their hair since the apostle commands women to keep their heads covered. Clement of Alexandria, who went and took it a little bit farther, writes, let the woman observe this further. Let her be entirely covered unless she happened to be at home. For that style of dress is grave and protects from being gazed at. And she will never fall who puts before her eyes modesty and her shawl. That's Nor will she invite another to fall into sin by uncovering her face. For this is the wish of the word since it is becoming for her to pray veiled. So I think he, he took Paul's words and sort of built on them a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, some of these quotes come from commentaries. Some, one of them was cited in the Concordia Commentary volume on 1 Corinthians, the Christostom quote. But some of them come from a really fascinating paper called A Survey of the History of the Interpretation of 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16 by A. Philip Brown, the second PhD. 
and I'll link to this in the show notes, but he summarizes all the research he presents, saying, in some, by the early third century AD, it was a common practice throughout the churches for married women to wear veils in church, if not everywhere in public. And then later on, after looking at a couple more centuries, he writes, the picture that emerges from this data is helpful for several reasons. First, it demonstrates that even native Greek speakers could understand Paul's directions to men differently. Second, it reveals that long hair and veils were the only options being considered by the early church. Third, there is no evidence for the common modern view that this passage ex addresses a cultural practice relevant only to first century Corinth. All commentators understood it to be universally authoritative and normative. Hmm. Woof. Okay, so that was the early church. Well, it's interesting that the Orthodox Church today, which relies heavily on church fathers for a lot of their traditions, yeah. many of them still do do have head coverings in general. I mean, you think of uh, Ukrainian or Russian Orthodox women. The picture that comes to my head all the time is a woman with her head covered with a with a scarf. It's it's just a very commonplace thing for that religious tradition. And my sister in law's family, they're all Orthodox. They they have scarves in church. I wear a scarf when I go to their church sometimes. So it's still mm -hmm. it's still a thing. Yes, definitely to the the close connection to the patristics mm -hmm. as being much more. I mean, like we have the Lutheran confessions, whereas the Orthodox they pretty much have patris patristics. Right? Can't I say that word? Patristics, <laughs> church fathers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they they take these. They're much more familiar with these kinds of writing. Yeah, than we are. Yeah, I I go dig for them, mm -hmm. but they would they would feel much more familiar. And so as a result, if you look on you know Orthodox websites today, you won't see. You usually in America at least, you won't see this like harsh prescription of you must veil in church. Right. But you will see a clear and strong encouragement. This is a worthy practice. Yep, that they're out in the open. If you do this is a good thing. So yes, Orthodox definitely more openly in favor of the continuation of this. So leaving the early church days, it's important to mention that the practice continued throughout the Middle Ages in Europe. Now, I'm not going to actually quote theologians and sermons from this time, partly because a lot of them are very dry, and the ones that aren't dry tend to be insultingly misogynistic. <laughs> nice. Like, oh, my goodness. But instead, I think we can we can get ample evidence for this by turning our attention instead to art history. Mm. Yes, because you can look at the art of the time and, and in fact, the, the time after this and get a sense for how normative this still was. And I got to say, you will not just about will not be able to find a grown woman married, widowed or cloistered depicted without a wimple or a headdress on her head. Hmm. There's a wonderful little collection over at Art UK that I'll link to in the show notes called Medieval Women Unveiled, Fashion, Gender, and Piety. Hmm. And it's interesting that they would call it unveiled because every woman in the collection is wearing a veil. <laughs> Irony. Um, I mean, not a veil that covers her whole face, but a very elaborate headdress that covers her whole hair. That mm -hmm. this was just part of women's attire, dresses and headdresses. And actually, if you continue the survey of art history up until the end of the 19th century, you'll notice that pretty much all of our Lutheran lady heroes of the faith, from Katie Luther to Emily Walther, mm -hmm. are all painted or photographed wearing at least a cap on their heads. Hmm. Like, I, I looked this up. Look at portraits of Emily Walther. You'll notice that she does not have a bare head. Argelov on Grimbeck. Yep. Not a bare head. Elizabeth I, bare head, but she wasn't married. 
and she works. There you go. <laughs> but there was, you will, you just about won't see it. In fact, the next time you watch, and I noticed this after I started this research project, next time you watch a Jane Austen film, uh-huh. like, for example, the 1995 <laughs> BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, pay close attention to the heads of the married women in the film, because you will notice that all of them wear a lace cap indoors. Mm-hmm. And the unmarried women just put their bonnets on when they go outside. Hmm. So Mrs. Bennett's lace cap, that's just what she did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a historical Easter egg hidden in plain sight. But once I started seeing it, I couldn't unsee it. And it was really interesting to me. So early church, medieval church. What about the Reformation? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. We've already heard a little bit. Yeah. A little, little preview with your Emily Walther and Katie Luther comments but what what do we have i'm betting there's some writings there you don't have to rely on not not as much as you would think actually they had so many other bigger fish to fry than this you know (laughs) head covering versus real presence in the lord's supper yeah spend more what would spill more ink over fair (laughs) but it does it does come up luther and i've got this out of a little book called luther on women is source book yeah, you can find online. I don't know why I reacted like that, but I did. I need to buy a copy of this book because I feel like this this would be an essential Lutheran Ladies Lounge library uh, acquisition to yes. have for for fun. But one one relevant quote: He writes, "The wife should put on a veil, just as a pious wife is duty bound to help bear her husband's accident, illness, and misfortune on account of the evil flesh." Of course, Luther wrote a lot of things. Uh, this among them, that were not formally included in the Lutheran confessions. And we do not necessarily think that every word he wrote or spoke is prescriptive for us today. But we do hold to the Lutheran confessions. Mm -hmm. And Article 28, believe it or not, I was so shocked to see this. Article 28 of the Augsburg Confession does actually almost kind of mention this topic. And I say kind of. Almost kind of. (laughs) Almost kind of. Because the article is actually on the question of ecclesiastical power. Mm -hmm. That is on whether and to what extent church leaders can make rules for people to follow both in church and out of it. Hmm. (laughs) So they are not dealing with the question directly. And also their answer to the question seems to be that great Lutheran answer. Well, yes, and (laughs) it's both. It's both. So I'll read a little excerpt here from... The Augsburg Confession, Article 28. Okay, it's a, it's a significant expert excerpt, so like, be patient <laughs> with me. <laughs> Since, therefore, ordinances instituted as things necessary or with an opinion of merit and grace are contrary to the gospel, it follows that it is not lawful for any bishop to institute or exact such services. For it is necessary that the doctrine of Christian liberty be preserved in the churches, namely that the bondage of the law is not necessary to justification as it is written in the epistle to the Galatians 5 verse 1, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is necessary that the chief article of the gospel be preserved, to wit, that we obtain grace freely by faith in Christ and not for certain observances or acts of worship devised by men. What then are we to think of the Sunday and like rites in the house of God? To this we answer that it is lawful for bishops or pastors to make ordinances that things be done orderly in the church. Not that thereby we should merit grace or make satisfaction for sins or that consciences be bound to judge them necessary services and to think that it is a sin to break them without offense to others. 
So Paul ordains 1 Corinthians 11.5 that women should cover their heads in the congregation. 1 Corinthians 14.30 that interpreters be heard in order in the church, etc. It is proper that the churches should keep such ordinances for the sake of love and tranquility. So far that one do not offend another, that all things be done in the churches in order and without confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.40, comparably Philippians 2.14. But so that consciences be not burdened to think that they are necessary to salvation or to judge that they sin when they break them without offense to others. As no one will say that a woman sins who goes out in public with her head uncovered, provided only that no offense be given. Of this kind is the observance of the Lord's Day, Easter, Pentecost, and the like. Holy days and rites. That sounds pretty Lutheran. Yeah, it does. You can do it. Including the part where it's clear as mud. <laughs> you can you can do it because you probably should do it. But if you don't do it, as long as you're not offending anyone, you're not sinning. So have at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is good, but... There's other things that are... NBD, TBH. Yeah. <laughs> you will not... Your salvation yeah. does not depend exactly. on whether or not you wear a head covering. Exactly. Therefore, do it. Don't die. <laughs> yeah, I hear them saying the same thing, that ecclesiastical traditions like female head covering are good, worthy, useful, no reason to throw it out, like having church on Sunday or celebrating Easter on Easter. You might also compare something like making the sign of the cross, mm -hmm. worthy practice, yep. uh, but not necessarily for salvation. And it is not a sin to forego them. So that's our Lutheran confession. It is, it falls in that category of adiaphora. Hey, everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> not on the list of, of things that are required for salvation. It's my least favorite. Christian, Christian freedom <laughs> there. Yet even so, there is no denying that for 1900 plus years, women in the Western church almost universally did cover their heads, certainly in church and usually in public. And it was not just Lutherans, as we've discussed. Up until the start of the 20th century, it was commonplace, obviously, in Orthodox churches, in Moravian, Anglican, Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist and Presbyterian churches. In the Roman Catholic Church, as recently as the 1917 Code of Canon Law, which was not abrogated until 1983. Not the Code of Canon Law. <laughs> Anything but that. That, quote, women shall have a covered head and be modestly dressed, especially when they approach the table of the Lord. Which I have to say, that is not bad That's advice. Not, that isn't bad. For all of our friends who are <laughs> pastors who probably aren't listening to this episode, they probably are. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing to think about being modestly dressed when you're approaching the rail and kneeling down and then you have a pastor leaning over I top of you. I never wear my zebra dress to church for that very reason. Yeah, like... I can't approach I mean, the Lord's altar with that on my... This is, this is a whole different side. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different conversation, but it kind of falls under the same mm -hmm. aspect of, of modesty, of... Thinking about the situations you're going to be in and how you're dressed. Hashtag no deep Vs. There you go. Yes, that's what I'm yeah. going to say. Thank you, Brie. Yeah, have have mercy on your pastor who is a man of God, but is also a man. So. Right. Yes. This is what our our friend, our church lady, fellow church ladies are for and be like, hey, maybe not wear that. Next but time. also like when you're approaching the altar and you know me, I'm about as flamboyant as they get when it comes to not as flamboyant as no. they get. In this, in this realm, yes. 
unabashedly Hashtag so. Flamboyant. Hashtag yeah. flamboyant. But also, like, you have to approach the altar with some iota of, like, humility. Like, yep. this is, like, fashion is a statement. Like, it's an expression of who you are. But, like, when you're at the altar, it's not about, it's not about you outside of, like, who you are vertically and horizontally with God and man. But, like, that's not your time to, like, go up on stage and, like. Right. It's not the catwalk. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a different time and oh, place for that. Correct. I also, well, while we're making our list of, of church traditions that have done head coverings, I want to also mention the black churches, mm-hmm. many of whom have traditions of really gorgeous church hats. Yes. yes. And there was a, when I was working at Barnes and Noble, I remember this photo book that came out called Crown. Mm-hmm. That That's all it was, was pictures of women in church hats. I'm going to go um, find that. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It was years ago. It's probably been out of print for like two decades. I'm not that young. (laughs) (laughs) But several women, speaking of not that young, several of the women in our Facebook group, when, you know, we last discussed this topic, remember, mentioned remembering a time when even Lutheran women wore hats to church, Mm -hmm. that when they were confirmed, maybe their pastor would tell them this is an appropriate thing to do. Also, and I haven't listened to this in a little while, so this may not be an exact memory, but there's a wonderful KFUO Bible study hey. where Pastor Whedon was hosting Thy Strong Word. Mm-hmm. And he covered First Corinthians and mentioned an interaction with a visiting deaconess from a Latvian Lutheran mm-hmm. church that's in partnership, fellowship with us. Yep. Who, when she went into the International Center Chapel, pulled a little head covering out of her pocket and put it on her head for that that purpose so even you know in our churches that we're in fellowship with that this this may still be more of a convention than we than we recognize today yeah Mm -hmm. so as we've discussed for 1950 years more or less and depending on the context for 2000 and some years that's a lot of time (laughs) that's a lot of time christian women have generally followed first corinthians 11 somewhat literally there may be a variety of applications because we can split hairs over anything. Uh, yeah, um, it's hairs. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, there are debates over whether this principle applies to just married women or all women, whether it applies to being in church or in public or all the time, whether it involves covering the whole body, the face. The, there are some days I would very gladly put some bag, paper bag over my head. Shut up. Just bad day. Just shut up. Um, <laughs> The face, the entire head and the hair, or even just the top of the hair. There were discussions in the early church about whether a thin linen veil was okay or whether it should be thick and opaque oh. so you couldn't see through it. Oh, interesting. One way or another, you know, whether we're we're talking like a little pillbox hat in the 1960s or like a full wimple in the Middle Ages, it was practice until it wasn't. <laughs> and why that is... I'm not sure anyone is 100% sure. We don't tend to talk about it too much in the Christian side. They actually talk about it more in the secular feminist side of the fat eating, um, which I'm guessing is why we don't talk about it. Probably. Maybe not. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> it seems to come down to three main factors. Feminism, no, fashion, fashion, and adiaphora. 
And because of this is a list, I really want to pronounce it Fadi Afara. Yeah. Um, oh. just so feminism, uh-huh. fashion, and Fadi Afara. Fadi Afara. That's what we call thick, like fads in real life that are not necessarily biblical or not. Sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's Fadi Afara. And this may be because the practice had taken on much more than a strictly religious and spiritual meaning that it had come to be a sort of symbol of propriety Mm. more than, you know, godly submission. Of course, it it certainly retained that meaning as well. But even, even women who were not particularly religious felt an intense societal pressure to wear hats in public and came to see this as kind of an oppressive thing. Mm. So beginning in the 1920s, modern women began to question the reigning societal expectation that polite women always wore hats in public. Why do modern women ruin everything? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to link to uh, the show notes for this are going to be like three pages long. It's fine. But link in the show notes to an Atlas Obscura article. I love Atlas Obscura. I love Atlas Obscura. Obscura. Um, Gastro Obscura, also great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this article references a post-World War I movement in Europe called Las Sin Sombreros, the women without hats. The author of this article, Tao Tao Holmes, writes that for these activists, quote, not wearing a hat was a way to mark identity, a transgressive statement in their push to be archetypes for the new modern woman. Isn't that exactly why women stopped wearing them in the ancient world, too, though, to, like, be countercultural? Yeah, yeah, I think so. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Nothing, no under the sun. Nope. <laughs> Holmes also quotes a veteran milliner, uh, which yes. for the sake of my husband and anyone else, he had, he asked me what it was, which is a, a female haberdasher, yes. a woman's hat maker, Gina Conti, who had obviously done a lot of digging and thinking about the whys and hows of being part of a dying industry. Lady hat. Um, <laughs> and Gina Conti says, I think part of it had to do with women not wanting to be told what to do, darn it. Not being told whether you have to be respectable, have to do this, do that. It's like the statement with burning bras. Get rid of a hat, you're free. Like being on the front bow of the Titanic and the wind blowing in your hair. It was a freedom. (laughs) So I think, you know, there may be some uncertainty on the Christian side of things as to what role feminists and feminism played in the changing of this practice. But I think on the secular feminist side, they're pretty open. Yeah, we thought hats were oppressive, so we stopped wearing them. Yeah. And I I don't want to, at this point, I'm not passing judgment on whether feminism itself is good or bad. Simply, simply say, do that's not a, want to open that kind of worm. That's a different conversation. Different conversation. <laughs> a year of feminism episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to slide right yeah. by that one. I think in this particular case, there is very little doubt that the feminist movement had played a very large role in changing the societal norms around female head covering in public. Do you think it influenced the change or it's a reaction to the change? You know what I'm do you know what I'm asking? I I think that at the in the beginning, in the first half of the 20th century, when the norm was still wearing hats, I think that it was a very intentional and conscious statement mm-hmm. that became normal 
Mm -hmm. And as we're about to talk about, also became fashionable because fashion plays a huge role in this story. Mm -hmm. Throughout history, you see, even though the principle of wearing a head covering doesn't change until the really doesn't change until the 1950s or 60s, the style of those head coverings all over the map. Like women are always trying to find ways to express themselves with fashion. It's true. To look good, to look a little different, but also to look a lot like everybody else is looking. I mean, there's this weird thing in fashion where you, you yep. want to look cool, but she's you don't a look weird. weird. She's weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, fashion, fashion does seem to have played a role. Specifically, I would posit that the invention of hair dryers and hairspray mm. did a lot to make hat wearing unfashionable. I think it's sort of coincidental, not quite, that wearing hats in church stopped being a thing the same decade that the beehive hairstyle was all the rage because you just can't fit a hat over your beehive (laughs) really easily. Also, remember those mile-high 80s bangs? Yeah. Yeah, that that tends to not go well under a scarf. Mm Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that we still do fashion watch for anything that happens at all with British royalty because they all wear cool hats and we're all. They do. To weddings and in church. and yep. for, for It's <laughs> all about the hats. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm sort of speculating here, but there does seem to be this this connection, especially if you talk to women today, because there are women who say, oh, well. A kind of the 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 feeling among some women is I would be interested in doing it, but I don't want to be the only one. Mm-hmm. That fashion is still a, a motivator. So we've talked about feminism, we've talked about fashion, and then of course there's fadiafora. <laughs> the reality that, as our confessions clearly state, head coverings are not necessary for salvation, and abstaining from them is not a sin. Say it louder for the people in the. <laughs> Head coverings are not necessary for salvation. Christ's blood shed on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. These are the, this this is what saves you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And, you know, as more people have come to embrace that, there has been more, more emphasis on, and I think in a good way, on on Christian liberty and not imposing harsh legalistic rules on other people's behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm. Women used to cover their heads because they were made to. Now they are not. It is a choice. And so it's it's not surprising that if hats in church are A, not necessary for salvation, B, uh, seen by the feminist movement as a symbol of female oppression, and C, completely 100% out of fashion, then it's really not surprising at all, put those all together, that people have stopped wearing them. It's become much easier just to say, as actually most Lutheran and non-Lutheran Bible commentaries from you know the middle of the 20th century onward do say, that Paul was speaking simply of a specific cultural practice in a specific time and place, and that although the basic principle of you know, male headship, the same one that that supports the LCMS non-ordination of women, which we all we all support and are fine with. Mm-hmm. But while this basic principle still applies, the specific application of putting something on your head is meaningless. 
in our own time and place. As exhibit A for this, I present, yes, we're going there, the 1985 CTCR Committee for Theology and Church Relations, I think. Commission. Commission. Basically our doctorate people. 1985 CTCR document, Women in the Church, Scriptural Principles and Ecclesial Practice. Go into the vaults. Yes. Yeah. This is, I think, a gem of a document. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Again, <laughs> you're the one that wrote record your own episode, listener. We're done. You go record your own episode of this. It's this this document is well worth reading and engaging with even decades later. And it does include a short discursus on head covering in which the authors of the document read Paul's words about the practice as actually not applying explicitly to us today. They write, it is clear that the use of head coverings in worship was a cultural expression which had particular meaning within the original context. In modern Western society, head covering or veiling is generally devoid of the significance attached to it in Paul's time. I So here's was something that I was thinking of as you're talking about, you know, feminism being a factor in head coverings becoming less of a practice. But I'm also wondering, too, like, how has Westernization had a hand in in mm. head covering because i mean obviously yes we if i'm envisioning somebody with a head covering on it's a certain kind of person that i'm envisioning like that's not something i go outside and see everyday people if i encounter someone out on the road that's got a head covering on that me- that means something to me it's so uncommon that it means something to me mm-hmm. what do you mean by westernization because until again like the 1950s that was the west like I don't, I don't see what you mean by Westernization. Do you really maybe, mean Westernization? Maybe or... I Westernization. Okay, because I'm just thinking like I think feminism has more to do with it. Than you think so? Else. Yeah. Okay. Because even even post feminism movement, you still have Western ish cultures that still wear them. Sure. Because it mm-hmm. has different significance. I just think of like a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, for example. That's what. Yeah, that's and what I mean. Like for better or worse, I know that. There's some separation that tends to happen there. So I'm just wondering if that's part of it. Okay, so it's interesting you should bring this up. Uh, uh, I knew I had a point. (laughs) (laughs) Because the statement is that head covering is, quote, generally devoid of the significance attached to it in Paul's time. So generally devoid of significance. So with all due respect to the worthy and excellent work of 1980s era CTCR, Mm. I do wonder whether this statement about it being devoid of significance yeah. is actually true. So to help us answer this question, I've got a quick pop quiz. Do you like yes. that? Yes. All right. Hey. Now it's trivia with Rachel. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Mini trivia. So what a pleasant surprise. A head covering. And you tell me what, what its significance is. Okay. Who, who wears it? Yamaka. Jewish. It's Jewish folks. For the men. Jewish Worn by men. men. Wear it. Mm-hmm. Hijab. Muslim. Muslim women. Muslim women. Mm-hmm. Bonnet. Amish. Little House on the Prairie yep. Girl. Holland. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah had it. Amish and Mennonite women. <laughs> okay. A habit and veil. None. Nuns. Uh-huh. Turban. That's going to be like Sikhs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And actually, so, I feel like also a fair bit of West Africa. Uh, okay. Um, you see the you see that with the I think more women I would 
I would call that a turban. Maybe it's maybe is it a, a is it a religious yeah. yeah. garment or is no, it just a cultural? I, I don't know. I think okay. I I view it as more of a cultural thing, but maybe there is religious okay. significance. I okay. don't know. Well, I was the it was the Sikh connection, okay. um, and all of these, with the exception of the the habit, which I, I don't believe there are nuns in the military. <laughs> all of these oh, are Mennonites, mm. also Mennonites. They are pacifists. They mm-hmm. don't join the military, but. As a chaplain's wife, I can tell you that those other religious head coverings, they will file formal, mm. formal exemption requests accommodated. to be able to wear, you know, have an accommodation yep. to wear these yep. significant spiritual head coverings mm-hmm. as part of their as part of their uniform. And usually they're granted. Mm-hmm. But in each of these cases, when we see, Brie, as when you see, when you see people out on the road, if I see a woman in a hijab in the supermarket, I know where she stands religiously and right. spiritually. Right. Mm-hmm. What you wear or don't wear on your head can and maybe does make a religious statement. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is why I, I think you're didn't right. want to wear one. But I, I think also wearing a pillbox hat that's super cute is not making a religious statement. That is making <laughs> a fashion statement. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. that's True. why I sort of struggle with it like okay if we're if that's if it's a religious thing then it's like fasting you're not supposed to like it's a good Mm -hmm. thing you do it in secret though you don't go around proclaiming oh i can't do that i'm fasting (laughs) (laughs) some and maybe that's part of what i sort of struggle with is it i feel like it ends up shifting almost immediately into if this is if this is covering women's glory then why are we covering it with something that is glorious? Mm, yeah. Maybe that's... <laughs> if you're going to wear a hat, it ought to be something ugly. Um, <laughs> I, I, honestly, yes. Like, why? I, I don't... Or at least simple. Like, it's not supposed to be adding glory to right. it if that's the purpose. Right. If, right. But maybe I'm not totally clear on what the purpose is. I feel... So, like, when I think of head covering in this context, and again... I'm I'm flying blind here because I have no idea. But like when I think of head covering in a church, I think of a piece of fabric of some kind like draped over my head. It's not mm-hmm. a pillbox hat. It's not a sombrero. Mm-hmm. It's not a feather headdress. Like it's nothing. It's nothing fancy. It's it's simple for the sole mm-hmm. purpose of covering the hair. That's what mm-hmm. I don't when I think of head coverings in church, I don't think of wearing like my Sunday bonnet and walking in and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doing I mean, that. I would have to say if I if I started wearing a head covering, which I've thought about doing numerous times in my life, it would be a scarf because that's the tradition that I grew up with and that I feel like is the most like reverent way to do it. Mm-hmm. However, I would also love to bring back hats, but probably for a different reason, just because I think hats <laughs> and are really cool and I appreciate that fashion and I think we should do that, but that's kind of a kind of two different purposes right. like what you're saying Aaron if I were wearing a really cute hat on a Sunday I would it would not be this is gonna sound bad it would not be out of reverence it would be out of a fashion statement <laughs> right. Yeah. right you would be the only one wearing that hat in church that's the thing and it always makes a statement more on that mm. in a minute Ooh. okay all right okay. I just speaking of religious statements I would say that it certainly does make a religious statement for Christian men who still follow first corinthians 11 hmm. have you ever seen a man wear a hat in church no not supposed to 
I have. Exactly. Often, but I have. <laughs> it's the few times my son has walked in with one, my husband will tell him to take it off men. It's not proper for men to wear hats in church. Yep. So we completely still apply First <laughs> Corinthians 11 to men. <laughs> I would not have made the connection, though. Mm-hmm. I would have just taken that to be men don't wear hats inside. Like, that's yeah. just like, that's mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. I assume. Yeah, no, I, I see that. But that's, I did not make that connection that we're honoring First Corinthians 11. Well, and that. how much of how when we talk about this passage, right, how much of it is looking at the woman's side of it? How oh, much? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's like we give we give this unfair weight of attention to one side of it. But then there's this whole other side that, oh, we we want to. Mm-hmm. Interesting that like talking right at the same time that like the whole thing with women rebelling against hats right around that same time is when men started growing their hair out in rebellion. Uh, We get the let's let's flip the role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and men, I mean, taking a cap off is still a sign of respect for men. Like you take your hat. Guys take their hats off when you do the national anthem or a lady. Mm. Or Yeah. Taking Mm -hmm. them off when they're greeting someone like that's still it's totally a Mm -hmm. cultural thing still. Yeah. But the culture that there is a scriptural basis behind that is interesting. (laughs) It is not questioned. It's done. Yep. So it does make me wonder, and this is this is the controversial part of the of the podcast. I, I do this, wonder. This is the only controversial part. Is this finally going to get juicy? Because I'm like sitting here, like, wow, I must be really naive and obtuse. I have no idea, but now I'm ready. Okay, so I wonder. This is just just wondering if the reason women no longer cover their heads in church isn't because it has no meaning, but because it does have a meaning, and we don't like the. I would be on board and my but and to follow up with that, based on what based on the knowledge that I brought, I would wonder which message do they not want to send? Right. Is it because they don't want to give off that they ascribe to a certain philosophy? Is it because they live in Dearborn, Michigan? (laughs) Is it like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, no, it's, I, we have a very, very women live in Dearborn, Michigan <laughs> in the big picture. So I think it's going to be mostly no, the other. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like, I'm just going to Islamophobia. Okay. I'm yeah. just going to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in a uh, similar uh, okay. vein, okay. We, uh, alongside okay. feminism, it's the same yeah. kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Do I, you want to hear a fun fact? This yeah. Is almost totally yep. topic, but not really. Oh, it's fun. We generally associate head covering these days more with Muslims than with Christians. Yep. Yes. But there is no 1 Corinthians 11 in the Quran. Mm-hmm. It right. never explicitly mentions women covering their heads. It speaks about dressing modestly. Oh, that's a horrible one. I had a, I was really confused. And if you're an Islamic scholar you. and you okay. uh, find this differently, because, of course, I don't read the Quran in Arabic. But according to my sources, that that is not something that is explicitly addressed huh. in the Quran the way it is. By the way, in the New Testament, interesting. That is interesting. Speaking of, uh, of the reasons why we don't, though, we also have a very maybe warped understanding of what all of those submission passages in Scripture actually mean. To I know, right? No, never. Maybe a lot of that coming out of our post-feminist movement understanding of a woman's role in culture and in family and all of that. So, understanding what those 
what submission means in our Lutheran doctrine and understanding, I think, gives a much clearer picture of what wearing a head covering could actually mean for women in the Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. But we, I man, there are some interesting ideas of what submission and mm-hmm. head of household mm-hmm. and wife and husband relationship and all of that actually means for us. Yeah. By interesting, you mean troubling? Yeah. I mean, there are there people, in many direct, like both directions. Yes, in both directions. Yeah. yeah there's we're, we're kind of all over the map on that. Because there's so many different understandings of it, and there is a, a good and proper way to understand it, and I think we're, we miss the mark. And by we, I just mean we in general, not any of us in particular. We just kind of miss the mark on what that actually means for us in our mm. in our vocations and how mm-hmm. this applies to it. I think yeah. that this is an instance, and I'm sure there are other instances of this, there, none are just coming to mind right now, <laughs> where... Paul or some other some other writer of the Bible is talking about something, a practice that it's not necessarily lawful. It's not it doesn't warrant your salvation to do so. But he talks about things that, okay, here's something to do that's meet right and proper to do as a woman. Here's something Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. if you were a man, the Lutheran confession, I know, right? I'm about to get canceled. Um, for men, it's the it's the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. To to cover while you're preaching and and teaching and prophesying, no, that's that's not a good thing. But I think that this is maybe one of those instances where the devil himself has taken this one detail and sort of twisted it, and like with each new like philosophical movement, it just be, it's this this thing that was once so good. And like read within a vacuum would be all just fine. But now it has become sort of this big amorphous like thing that has caused so much division in our church mm. for one reason or another, mostly because of like cultural influence. But mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. that it's it's so sad that a passage like this in the Bible talking about things that are good, just being completely like ripped out of context mm. and pieced back together and like mm-hmm. families fight at thanksgiving dinner over stuff like this guys yep. like yep that's yep. not how this was supposed to go you mean sinful human beings take passages out of context what and them to mean their own things what no never i just i don't get it i like i don't and so i i think that sometimes in some in some ways there's this this feeling like not where it, it where we are today, not wearing covering is just a way of staying out of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That it's easier to just say, oh, well, it's not necessary for salvation. Uh, and if I do it, it's going to maybe start something. It's not worth the and trouble. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's not worth it. However, we, we've talked about a lot of research. There's one kind of research that I had never done. Oh, First hand field research. <gasps> yep, field research. Yes. <laughs> Guess you, what I have I've been doing for lunch, you guys. <laughs> did you wear head coverings to church? Yes. Yeah. Oh boy. So you know, as I told you, you know that my reading First Corinthians eleven has been giving me conscience twinges since I was a teenager, mm. and I'd always been like, oh, I can't. I would. People are going to think that I'm like. Amish or Muslim. I get enough of that from my from my dress already. <laughs> I like long, no, I like long skirts. Okay, you do. Um, <laughs> you do love a long skirt. I do. But finally, I came to the conclusion. I'm like, even if the practice of head covering is adiaphora, 
it's not forbidden. Exactly. Like there's no yeah. rule that says I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And if I can use my Christian freedom to watch R-rated movies, surely I can use it to wear a hat. Surely yeah. can. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was sort of where I came. I was like, I've used Christian liberty for so many awful things in my life. <laughs> this one is not that bad. By <laughs> yes. Confession <Okay>. time. <laughs> so... I decided to, you know, just sort of bite the bullet and make it one of my Lenten disciplines for this year Mm -hmm. to cover my head. I know you're not supposed to talk about Lenten fast, but this is for (laughs) science. Science. (laughs) Maximum science. Maximum science. This is definitely science. To figure out when, where, how, and what, because obviously I'm not going out in a full burqa every time I go to the mailbox. Uh And despite what Clement of Alexandria, I think, would like. Um... (laughs) But I, I looked at the scripture and I said, okay, well, it says when praying or prophesying. So for me, that means prayer time, obviously. Church, I think that would include church, mm. probably. And and since prophesying is receiving and sharing the word of God, probably Bible study as well. Okay. I think I'll include that. So okay. both Bible study at church and also when I'm studying scriptures at home. This is highly subjective, you guys. Paul really could have been a little bit more specific. Uh, <laughs> right. So I bought a couple of, I thought, pretty, not too ostentatious knit berets, which are really comfortable mm-hmm. in the wintertime, mm-hmm. and a couple of scarves in neutral colors at home. Of course you did. I, <laughs> what's that? Neutral <laughs> colors. Neutral colors. Yes. <laughs> I, my, my hats are beige and black. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Add a girl. <laughs> and for fancy days, I have one that's sort of a sage green. Yep. It's very you. <laughs> it's so beautiful. At home, I often wear a hoodie sweatshirt. Hey. Okay. okay. That works great. Or like a bandana during my... Hashtag Jesus and coffee morning. Yeah. <laughs> See our episode on the coffee <laughs> trivia challenge for podcasts uh-huh. there. <laughs> and during evening family devotions. And despite the fact that my whole family like knows what I'm doing and why, because they had to know, I've been trying my hardest, Aaron, <laughs> not to draw undue attention to myself. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which is hard when you're the only person in the building wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because I know people have to have noticed. And most of them probably have to have figured out what's going on. Because Lutherans are smart. But they don't approach the person to ask them any questions. (laughs) Right, exactly. They just gossip behind the back. Oh, sorry. I I, I do think this is a big reason why more women don't wear hats to church is that they simply don't want to stand out. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got this idea of that... I think we were working with two different definitions of modesty, one of which is to cover up your body and possibly also your head. And then the other definition of modesty is don't draw attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm really and bad at that Depending one. on the context, <laughs> these two definitions mm-hmm. of modesty can really you can't do both. not jive. Yeah. yeah. Like I couldn't probably wear my favorite denim skirt, the long one, to a board meeting without drawing attention. So and I might stick to slacks in that mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Do you have a short denim skirt? <laughs> this is Rachel we're talking about. She said the long one. <laughs> I have the long one and the really long. Oh, 
the departing pizza there was the denim, I believe. So yeah, there's they're trying trying to sort of embrace both concepts of modesty here is is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um but a worthwhile one. So interestingly, of the I attend two churches regularly. One is the chapel and base where my husband preaches. And the other is the Lutheran church in town where we sing in the choir and go to Sunday school. And of these two churches, only two people have commented on this fashion change Mm -hmm. at all. And they were both at the chapel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I guess it is probably more noticeable in a military community Mm. where they have a very strict, uh, formal and enforced etiquette over when and where to wear their covers. Mm, In the military, Mm -hmm. you don't call it a hat. You call it a cover. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Which is, I think, yeah. all kinds of telling right there. Uh-huh. Um, but there are specific times and places where you wear a cover. And of course, this doesn't extend to me as a civilian, but it would make them you know, notice this hmm. more quickly. Mm-hmm. Both of those conversations were very kind and respectful and supportive, by the way. Hmm. In the Lutheran congregation, no one has said a word about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because we have such good breeding, I think, is what that comes down to. Yes. If we don't tend to comment on things like that. No, not at so all. So I've been, I've been doing this for about a month now because we're not quite through Lent. Mm-hmm. So since Ash Wednesday. And I've learned a few things along the way. So I'll, I'll go through these in, in order. They're not really in an obvious order. Number one thing that I have learned. I have a big head. I'm right there with you. <laughs> It's like a seriously giant noggin. So all those pretty women's hats that you see in pictures, like the Mm -hmm. Kentucky Derby hats, like they don't fit me. I I measure my hat. I compare it to the Amazon size chart and I'm like, I'm off the charts. Yeah. Like, yep, I am too. Yeah. We all are. And we have that. I've had to be a little flexible and get creative with this. And that was so that was one thing. I guess I always knew that, but this has made it solidified. Mm -hmm. So number two, because I have a giant noggin, I am not used to wearing anything on it and therefore not good at all at remembering to put something on it. Mm -hmm. So this Lenten discipline has been like every other Lenten discipline I've ever attempted. (laughs) Very good at showing me how bad I am at Lenten discipline. (laughs) Really sick of this. Number three, I have come to realize that I pray more often during the day than I thought I did. And I'm more conscious of it when I'm like, start to pray. And I'm like, oh, I'm not wearing a hat. I mean, I'm going to pray anyway. Like, I'm not going to stop praying, but I do notice it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm just more conscious of that. And I, it, it made me sort of understand the Mennonite stance. Because mm-hmm. if your goal is to have your head covered every time you approach the throne of God in prayer or otherwise, it's easier just to keep it on all the time. Mm-hmm. So you're just ready to go whenever. Without ceasing. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have not actually started wearing one all the time, FYI. Number four, wearing a hat or scarf in church feels weird. Okay, hmm. thank you for clearing that up. I wasn't sure. Yeah. No. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's really weird. So I, I'm conscious not only of the fact that I'm the only person in church wearing something like that, mm-hmm. but I also feel a little bit awkward and self-conscious that I'm making a silent statement that not every woman in the church would be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So I'm quietly confirming Paul's words that a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head 
and confirming that I am okay with the biblical principle of wifely submission. And I know that this makes a lot of my sisters profoundly uneasy. Mm -hmm. I know that this principle has been used and abused and that it has been used to justify all kinds of spousal abuse mm -hmm. and disrespect and other sins against women's lives and welfare and dignity. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that. Mm -hmm. And I, I came into this conversation knowing that some of this might make the three of you even uneasy. And if you are, I get that because it's weird. Mm -hmm. So let's just get that out there. It feels very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. However, number five. Believe it or not, it also, while feeling very weird and uncomfortable, kind of feels right. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, it doesn't feel wrong. Right before Lent, Ken preached a sermon on the call of Isaiah mm. with the angels before the throne of God, the seraphim, the burning ones, and how they use two wings for flying. With two, they cover their faces, and with two, they cover their feet. Mm -hmm. And he brought out really crisply the notion of how awe-inspiring the presence of God is. Mm. That yep. these angels are covering themselves not just for modesty, but because the like like the the heat off a campfire, like whoosh, 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 you know, <laughs> waves of heat, waves of glory coming at them. And they're just like, they wanna, they wanna cover themselves. Mm -hmm. And so like those angels, when I think about what it means that the eternal God is truly present in his word, truly present at his table, truly present when I come to him in prayer, like my natural instinct is actually to cover up. Mm -hmm. I could go further and like say my natural instinct when I think about the presence of God is to jump in bed and hide under my covers. <laughs> like that might not be an inappropriate response to that. But, you know, pulling up my hoodie over my head is... And pulling the strings real tight. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, at least it doesn't feel wrong. Mm -hmm. Number six, it also feels a little bit right because it has allowed me to embrace and express my Christian womanhood in a new way. Mm -hmm. hmm. So you all know this from our, our private conversations, but I've been troubled a lot lately by all the confusion in our world today surrounding gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing this research and realizing the church fathers always made a big deal about women and men looking and dressing in distinct ways. Mm -hmm. And I've begun to wonder that given, given everything that we're experiencing in our culture now, whether there might be some real wisdom in that, mm -hmm. that maybe dressing like a woman... <laughs> Now, whatever that means, obviously that means different things in different contexts, right? Mm -hmm. But in this one thing, wearing a hat, which is something that women have traditionally done in church and men have not, mm -hmm. that embracing that distinction is not a bad thing. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. So number seven, I'm honestly not sure whether I'll continue this practice after Lent or not. If I can find something that works for the summer when my mm -hmm. berets start Start <laughs> being really hot and sweaty. Yeah. I don't know if I can if I can figure it. I might. I might. I might not. I don't know yet. I'm still still in prayer about that. Still talking. These conversations with my dear husband have not stopped. I'm leaning toward yes, but mm. then I am extremely self conscious in my life, and I don't. I don't want to give the wrong impression. I want to give. Make sure people know that I am 
a Christian woman, and that that is the identity that matters more to me than any fashion. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to think that I'm relying on some outward show of something for my salvation because I'm mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. At what point do you cast that off? Because, you know, one of my biggest criticisms of this church, it's probably the third time I'm going to get canceled this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is that optics sometimes matter more than the truth? And I think we've all, we've we've fallen victim pretty notoriously to this, yeah, in the past. But what there are it, optics happening either way, right? Mm-hmm. But what good is it to not do something that you think is good, so right. as to not make someone think poorly or inaccurately of you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what yeah. I mean. I have bowing and crossing routine that I have in church that I learned at the church where I also wore head coverings. But I was catechized into why those things matter. But I feel that way when I go to other churches and I'm not sure what their practices are. Yep. I am. Mm-hmm. I try not to be very self-aware of what I'm doing because I, I, I also understand that I'm not there for people to watch me. So hopefully they're not. Right. Like, it's not it's not about me. I do right. it for a certain. It's not about me. Yeah, I do yeah. it for certain reasons so that I focus my attention. And I understand what's happening and baptismal remembrance, all those things. But it does. It, it's uncomfortable. Right. It can be mm-hmm. very uncomfortable to know that you're probably doing something that stands out from everybody else that but everybody if else is doing. If I'm doing. looking at you sideways because it's different or weird or I think you're secretly a Muslim or whatever, like that's a me problem. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're doing it for attention or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. not on you. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm definitely. Not, I. I don't want to do it for attention. I want to do it in the way that draws the least possible mm-hmm. attention. Right. Rachel, uh-huh. I'm I'm curious, though, for those that probably pay the most attention to you, have, have your daughters talked with you at all about this? Like, what has their re- reaction been? Or your son, for that matter. They have, I think they're a little befuddled by it, honestly. Uh-huh. But they're teenage even girls. It's not <laughs> What's that? They're teenage girls and you're their mom. <laughs> yeah. And they're definitely in that age of... Please, mom, don't do, say, or wear anything that will embarrass us in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, they appreciate the not too ostentatious part of, of the way of <laughs> trying to do this. I think they've been very supportive. They themselves have not expressed interest in necessarily doing this themselves. Again, mm-hmm. they're teenagers. They don't yeah. want, although, honestly, I did notice my daughter wore her favorite beanie to church on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, she loves wearing hats for comfort. Mm. And the fact that I'm I'm wearing one now, I think, gives her permission sure. to do a thing she wanted to do anyway. It's not for a spiritual significance, right. but just like, I like my hats. And mm. I always thought it was inappropriate to wear hats in church, but it turns out it's only appropriate for my brother to wear a hat in church, or <laughs> inappropriate for my brother to wear right. a hat in church. So I'm free. Sure. Um, <laughs> They and my my youngest does occasionally, you know, say, "Hey, mom, here's your here's your cover. Don't forget your head covering," you know, because she knows she knows what's going on, and it's kind of cute. Um, but I I don't I don't know that any of them will take up the practice in a systematic way. Mm-hmm. They might, mm-hmm. but at least they've been they've not been dismissive mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. me, though they certainly could have been. <laughs> what's going on, mom? That's weird. Well, not yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether I'll continue it or not. I am kind of thinking maybe I will, but we'll see. It is so beyond comforting, though, 
to know that my salvation in Christ is secure no matter what. That covered or bareheaded, I am redeemed by the blood of lamb and wearing or not wearing things doesn't change that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, like that's just that's just the takeaway. So, yep. Oh, what a journey this has been. Like seriously, you guys. <laughs> I really appreciate you allowing me to like take this topic and talk about it cuz it's it's been on my heart for years. And ever since I started digging into it, I was like, I have got to tell somebody this stuff. <laughs> Let's no, tell it's everybody. <laughs> I, I particularly, I'm glad you had the conversation and brought the topic up because it is not something that I have encountered much mm-hmm. or really thought much about. And I appreciate the chance to to think more about it. It is definitely a passage that I would I would have in the past been inclined to be like, well, since that clearly is not our practice in the LC in the majority of the LCMS churches, it must just be a cultural thing because <laughs> that's that's just what it would have been. But I so I appreciate the chance to talk about it and hear what you've been considering and learning and digging into as you've explored this. Mm-hmm. If you read the study notes in our Lutheran study Bible, it explains that it is a cultural thing. The notes for chapter 11 are two thirds of that page. So (laughs) there are a lot of notes in the study Bible on on those passages and, and they are quite helpful. And they do also talk about marriage and submission and headship and all of that stuff all in one. And it, it, mm-hmm. it does bring a lot more clarity to what those passages can mean for us. So I also, I don't know, I, I'm like you, Rachel. I've been thinking about this for a long, 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 long time. One of these days, maybe I'll be brave enough to do it and I might bring some of my friends. Because I think there's a few of us at my church that might actually do it if mm-hmm. we all talked about it and had good reasoning to do it instead of just doing it for the sake of doing it. Because I don't think that's the right way to go about it either. I think if anybody feels compelled to do it. They should do it without fear of backlash or gossip or whatever yeah. it is. That's yeah. that's no, what I agree. That's what I hope we all head. take away from this today. <laughs> I will never wear a head covering because I, it just would be a bad idea to give myself that liberty. Mm. It would become <laughs> become far too much of a fatty opera Mm. (laughs) probably yeah well yeah Bree. one thing though you said they should do it without fear of backlash or gossip or whatever i that might actually come but you should do it without fear that there's anything like spiritual negative consequences that's what i meant yeah (laughs) sorry because i mean those those they will talk about you they'll talk about you (laughs) because we're in church right yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but, but don't let that prevent you. Correct. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Not gonna yeah. And I, I don't think that this, Sarah, you talk, you mentioned talking about it with other with other sisters. And I think that that's that's good and appropriate. But I do not think that it should ever this conversation should ever be done in a way that you're pressuring someone else. Yep. Oh, no. To take me pressure people. That, you would but there there is this feeling of like well i kind of feel like i ought to do it Mm. like it would be an appropriate expression of my faith and identity as a christian woman but boy it is so weird to be the only person in church wearing a hat wouldn't it be easier if all the other women did it too (laughs) Mm -hmm. it would and shouldn't i maybe see if a few more of them would join me in that. Maybe you Whether should get the ball they're rolling. in the same place I am. Yeah. You, um, because we don't talk about it. So there uh-huh. may be other people right. who feel Str- the same way. 
it's true. And you just don't know because nobody mm-hmm. talks about it. Yeah. Or does no, it? No, talk about it or by all means. But <laughs> I think a lot of the way in which this practice was distorted over the years came not from women choosing to do it, but from other people making it a law that mm-hmm. had to be followed mm-hmm. or restricting access to the Lord's house and the Lord's table based on your attire, mm-hmm. which still happens. I mean, Aaron, you talked about not being allowed in the mosque without a scarf. Yeah. That was, I think, a problem of saying, if you want Jesus, you better put something on your head. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure to not ever go there yeah, mm-hmm. because Jesus is there for us freely. There's no dress code, I don't think. Yep. <laughs> there better not be shoes. Yeah, he is. He I is. There is one parable of a guy without the wedding garment yeah. and got kicked out. So there is a sort of dress code, but I think yeah. dress code yeah. has to do more with whether you're covered with the blood of Christ right. than whether you're covered with a full length uh-huh. shawl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where I am. I don't feel like I. I have. I have a lot more knowledge on this subject. I'm not sure that I have a lot more wisdom yet. But hopefully, as all of this life and learning gel. Maybe I'll get more wisdom on this at some point. Mm -hmm. For now, I'm just taking it a day at a time and seeing where we go from there. And maybe if you see me uh, six months from now, I'll still be wearing a hat in church or at home, or maybe I won't be. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Excellent. This is a great topic. It's been a very eye-opening Lenten discipline, though. Yes. Maybe I'll do it next year for Lent. Do it. That's a great idea. Do it. Because that gives you some parameters of like, I'm going to do it for this season. And if it's mm-hmm. weird and I don't want to do it anymore, then you have an out. <laughs> what if it's smart goals? Yes. But if it's good, then okay, you just keep but doing it. Let's be honest. You could totally just pick any six week time to say, <laughs> I'm going to try this out. I'm not committing myself. I'm going to try it out. You're great at this, Aaron. I mean, you can. <laughs> Do it for Advent if you really want it to be church season. Uh, just wear but... a purple scarf every yeah. week, except for Gaudete, in which case I can wear my pink one. Good. You've got. To... I do have liturgically colored scarves. You would, y'all. <laughs> Speaking of this. <laughs> Anyway, this is like our longest podcast ever. Guys. How long is it? It is an hour and 40 minutes. Oh my gosh! Unedited, man. Unedited. Oh, it will be yeah. shorter by the time we drive. I feel so tired. Yeah, so we but need to wrap this up. It's been good. I'm, I'm so thankful I have you guys to talk through this stuff with. This has really. been really great. I appreciate all of your research and putting all of your time into this. I know people will have lots of opinions on it. They've already had opinions on it in the lounge. So, yeah, but share them again. Yeah. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So when this podcast drops, join us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. We will have plenty of discussion about about this, I'm sure. But especially, well, this is a moot point because those who are listening are already listening, but encourage each (laughs) other to actually listen to all of the research before we just go blindly commenting the same things because you may... You, you may find that people learn something from all of this, but it doesn't matter. I learned so much. Y'all have already been listening for over an hour and a half. So <laughs> join us in our group on Facebook. We'd love to know your thoughts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge and share your thoughts there as well. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on the KFUO radio app or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also join our e-newsletter if you like to get Lutheran Ladies Lounge in your inbox or if you're not on social media and you would prefer to get us there, you can do that. 
You can find out how to do that in the show notes for this episode in the midst of all of the rest of the things in the show notes for this episode. (laughs) Or just send us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org, and we'll uh, we'll get you signed up for that e-newsletter. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm the long one. (laughs) And I can't believe I just did that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can. It's it's the meme. It's been 84 years. It's been 84 years. KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Ad Crusum. Visit them online at adcrucem.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge.